Hello and welcome to Gloucester Vineyard Church's weekly podcast. We're creating a community that brings hope and joy to Gloucester and we're thrilled that you have downloaded this message. This week in our journey through Matthew's biography of Jesus, Daniel is walking us through chapters 11, 12 and 13 and looking at what Jesus had to say about those who didn't want anything to do with his kingdom. There's a link to the book Daniel recommends at the end in the description of this episode as well as a link to the talk Daniel mentioned. So, Without further ado, here we go. So in my opinion, one of the best things about lockdown has been how much film and TV we get to watch without feeling guilty about it. A few weeks ago, I showed all three of my girls one of my favourite films ever. It's called The Red Turtle and it's by Studio Ghibli and it is a wonderful animated film about a guy who gets stranded on a desert island and basically tries to get off it. And along the way he has this profound encounter with a giant red turtle and I won't go into any more details for fear of spoiling it but if you have, if you get a chance, check it out on Amazon Prime because it is absolutely wonderful. Now I said to Emily, my wife, before we watched the film, okay, this is a Studio Ghibli film. These are the people who brought us Totoro and the giant cat bus. So there's a moment in this film where things are going to get a little bit magical. It's going to ask you to come with it. And, and when that moment comes, just promise me that you'll go with the film. Just be swept up in the magic of the moment. Don't think about it too much. Just enjoy it and let it just take you for a ride. And Emily promised that she would try. We got to the end of the film. The magical bit happened. Everything else happened. And we reached the climax of the film. And I don't mind telling you all, I was in floods of tears. Just, just crying my eyes out. Such a powerful ending. And of my three girls, there were three separate reactions. Child number one, also known as Rosie, was completely just like me. She'd gone with the film, she'd engaged with it, she'd been swept up in the magic, and she was just bawling her eyes out at the end. Child number two, also known as Ellie, was bored out of her tiny little mind. She'd spent most of the film asking what was happening and when it was going to be over, and could we watch some Paw Patrol instead. And Emily was just angry. Why on earth had we watched such a stupid film with such a stupid premise? And what was with that magical thing that happened halfway through? How on earth could I expect her to watch a film after that had happened? How could I expect her to take it seriously? Same film, three very, very different reactions. Now, Jesus told a story like that once. We read it this week in Matthew's biography in chapter number 13, and it goes like this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil, uh, it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Same seed, four different types of soil, four different results from the same seed. Now it's a story about how different people receive the good news about Jesus in different ways. And this morning we're going to be talking about just that. How should we feel and how should we think when people are just not interested in Jesus? So as you may know, as a church community, we've been taking our time over the last few weeks going through this biography of Jesus' life that Matthew wrote. We've been introduced to Jesus as being the Son of God. 
which is a big claim. We've heard about what Jesus is all about and why he came to earth, namely to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God. We've heard a lot about what the kingdom of God looks like, namely heart transformation and knowing God as our father. And we've seen what it looks like when the kingdom of God shows up in a town, like healing and miracles, people being restored. And last week we discussed what it might look like if Jesus showed up in Gloucester. What would he challenge? What miracles might we see? Who would he make a beeline for? And this week we get a snapshot of what the people in these towns actually think of this Jesus showing up and showing off in their streets. We get to hear from some people who are encountering this kingdom of God. And the truth of the matter is that the results are a bit surprising, or at least they're surprising to me. Because not everybody is on board with what Jesus is saying and doing. Not everybody is on board with the kingdom of God. So just like in my family, not everyone was on board with the red turtle. Some people are just not resonating with Jesus' message about the kingdom, and others are violently opposed to it. Now, if I'm perfectly honest, if I was Matthew and I was sitting down to write this account, I think I probably would have left this stuff out. I think I would have glossed over it and just told the stories about Jesus absolutely smashing it. Oof, people healed, people convinced, people fed, storms quelled, resurrection accomplished, bish bash bosh, Jesus makes it look easy. But Matthew doesn't do that. He includes story after story of times when Jesus' message is actually not effective, when people don't believe him or they're scared of him or get angry with his message. You see, our chunk of Matthew this week could be split into two halves. The first half is a whole load of stories about people making their minds up about Jesus. Some of them love him and are totally on board. Others aren't sure. They're kind of confused about Jesus. Even John the Baptist, one of his cousins and a good friend, and his family are starting to question if he's legit. And then the guys who have made up their minds about Jesus, but they've made up their minds that he's a bad egg. Jesus is dividing people and people are making up their minds about him. And so the second half of what we read this week is when Jesus wades in to address just that. Jesus tells a whole load of mini stories called parables to explain what's going on. He tells one about people who hear the good news and love it, but how not everyone sticks with it and becomes fruitful. About how the kingdom of God starts small and grows huge slowly and relentlessly. About how the kingdom of God is a thing of enormous value, the highest value for those who find it. And a story about God's kingdom coming in its all of its fullness one day in the future. And how those who have chosen to reject Jesus will be denied entry to his kingdom. Now, these two halves of what we read this week, they hold hands with each other. We hear from people having mixed reactions to Jesus. And then Jesus talks very plainly about those who don't respond to his invitation into the kingdom. Now, Jesus lays it out really plainly in one of the last parables in his chapter. And we find that in chapter 13, verse 24. We're going to be zooming in on it today. And it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. They slipped, then he slipped away. When the crops began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed, it's full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Well, should we go out and pull up the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you will uproot the wheat if you do. Don't let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and then put the wheat in the barn. Then he goes on in uh, chapter 13, verse um, 37. And 
Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. Now, whenever Jesus says the son of man, that's his favourite way of talking about himself. So Jesus is saying, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil and the harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So, I've got to be really honest. I find this passage really hard. I find it really offensive, to be honest. And I actually considered avoiding this topic and picking something else to talk about this week. But I just felt that actually Jesus is talking about something here that I care really deeply about. Something that we all care really deeply about. Something we don't like to think about or talk about too much because it's painful. And that is, what happens to those people who aren't interested in joining Jesus' kingdom? Because I know that for all of us, this is, all of us, this is not an academic question of theology. We all know and love people who have heard Jesus' message and have decided to reject it and they've gone their own way. You know, for some of us, those are our best friends. For some of us, it's our spouse. For some of us, it's our kids. You know, these are our nearest and dearest. How could we not be offended and upset by what Jesus is saying here? Because at first glance, it looks like Jesus is going to throw them into a big fire, which sounds horrible. But let's just stop. Let's wait. Let's remember what we said in the first week, that Matthew, the guy who wrote this biography, is using the tools at his disposal to tell us about Jesus. And Matthew's not using science and logic to make his points. He's using history and literature. Now, if we take a deep breath, if we give the passage the benefit of the doubt, which is really important to do, and if we do Matthew the courtesy of scratching below the surface and reading what he's written within the broader context of the whole Bible, then we can read these stories with new eyes and actually find some real nuggets of hope and even comfort when we think about our friends who don't know or have chosen not to follow Jesus. And I want to really briefly unpack those now. Firstly, and really simply, what we learned this week is that people rejected Jesus when he was stood right in front of them. You know, I think it's really easy for us to beat ourselves up black and blue when we think about our friends who don't follow Jesus. And we can do all sorts of things, muster up the courage to tell them about this wonderful love we found. We can pray for them, share our faith until we're blue in the face, invite them along to church and just pray that whoever's speaking isn't talking about hell that week. I'm really sorry about that. Um, and still, after all that, they're just not interested in faith. They're not interested in following Jesus. And it's all too easy for us to blame ourselves for just not doing a good enough job. But we can take real comfort from the fact that Jesus had exactly the same experience. And that actually tells us something about God's kind and generous heart rather than our lack of ability as evangelists. It tells us that God loves people too much to force them into a relationship with him that he wants to give us all the dignity of choosing a relationship with him. And I mean, come on, Jesus was making it pretty obvious to these people that he was legit. He was performing miracles left, right and centre, and still people chose not to trust and follow him. Clearly, Jesus' kingdom is not a kingdom motivated by force, but a kingdom motivated by love, relationship and kindness. 
And maybe we could think, well, you know, if a relationship with Jesus is the only thing keeping people from an eternal torment in hell, then surely the most loving thing for Jesus to do would be to be more forceful. That way he's saving people. Or maybe, as I hinted at before Christmas, we need to think again about our idea of hell and how it actually works. If you missed that talk, you can catch up on it on the podcast. This talk is kind of part two of that one. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus is a better judge of character than we are. Maybe we don't have the full picture. Maybe it's not our job to decide who's in and who's out. But let's also notice the generosity of Father God. In the parable about the different soils I read earlier on, uh, Father God, he doesn't wait until he's standing over the nice fluffy composty soil before he starts chucking seed about. He chucks it everywhere. It's enormously wasteful. The people hearing it would have been scandalised because seed was really expensive. But the picture is of a God who overflows with generous, open-hearted compassion towards those who don't know him. A God who is going out of his way to offer people chance after chance after chance to enter a relationship with him. He doesn't just try one seed and move on if it doesn't take. He's spreading his good news everywhere, regardless of the results. And we should be doing the same. Secondly, Jesus' message here is about the goodness of the wheat and not about the badness of the weeds. Jesus is trying to communicate with us about the goodness of his kingdom and not about the badness of those who choose to reject it. See, Jesus has this uncompromising vision for the kind of kingdom that he wants to build, an uncompromising vision that will not even allow for a shred of selfishness, evil or malice to enter. And we see when we read the passage that our eye is just like immediately drawn to the badness of the weeds. But Jesus' message message is actually about the goodness of the wheat. We read it just now. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in a field. And then again, when the weeds spring up, the workers are like, but I don't understand you planted good seed. The emphasis of the story is on the goodness of the kingdom, not on the badness of the people who don't identify with it. And notice one more thing, that the weeds don't just come up out of nowhere, that the parable says that the enemy snuck in and planted them. This enemy got another mention in the other parable about the soils when Jesus started to unpack it. Jesus is acknowledging that this is not a question of God's will versus people's will, that there's actually a great enemy, the great enemy that's been active since the first page of this book, who's been looking to sabotage God's good kingdom. And we know when we read the rest of Matthew and indeed the rest of this book that ultimately God's real enemy is not the flesh and blood people who reject his kingdom, but rather it's the devil who only comes to steal and kill and destroy. When Jesus talks about removing the weeds from his good kingdom, he's talking about removing the evil work that the devil has been sowing into humanity since the beginning of time. Now the sad and sorry truth of the matter is that evil does not exist apart from a human heart, that The badness that is in the world is a problem because it lives in each of us. If God is going to remove evil from the world, he either needs to remove the evil people from the world or remove the evil from the people. And we know from reading the rest of the Bible that God's plan A, the one he returns to time and time again, is to remove the evil from the people. See, those of us who identify as Jesus' followers, who have said yes to his invitation into the kingdom, are people who have self-identified the problem is in our own hearts. And we are people who have looked to Jesus for healing and restoration and forgiveness. But Jesus won't force anyone to come into his kingdom who doesn't want to be there. Because he's motivated by pure love, he won't force anyone into that relationship. And he won't heal people if they don't want it. 
And so when we read in the story about the weeds being removed from the kingdom and placed on the furnace, that is Jesus talking about those who have been offered a chance to join the kingdom, but ultimately have decided that they want nothing to do with Jesus. And those people, for those people, Jesus, in his kindness and mercy, does not force them to be somewhere they don't want to be. Because surely for those people, that would be some that would be punishment enough. Instead, he honours their decision not to enter the kingdom. He honours his commitment to create a kingdom free from compromise. Now, before I move on, I just want to make two really quick points which offer us some comfort in this difficult moment. Because as I'm speaking, we're all thinking of our friends who we think fit into this category. Firstly, when Jesus talks about being thrown into a furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth, He's not talking about eternal torment in hell. We have retrofitted an imagined idea of what Jesus was talking about into what Jesus is actually saying here. What he's doing is he's referring back to the first half of this book called the Old Testament and he's using what's called apocalyptic language to talk about the end of the world. Now the key with apocalyptic language and the reason why we struggle to read it so much is that it leans really heavily on picture language and metaphor to describe big, ultimate, complicated truths. And the difficulty for us modern readers is that we don't share the same metaphoric vocabulary as them. That's easy for me to say. It's like if we were to say to an ancient Israelite, oh man, it's raining cats and dogs out there today. They would have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. And in the same way, Jesus is using metaphors to describe what he means. The metaphors of fire, of furnace, of weeping and gnashing of teeth, they're all about the destructive nature of sin and the regret that comes from it. It's not something Jesus does to people who disagree with him. It's what we choose for ourselves. Secondly, and I strongly believe this, that each and every person will get a face-to-face with Jesus when we die. And that at that moment, none of us will measure up to coming into the kingdom. All of us, if taken as we are, would be found to be weeds, worthy of exclusion. But all of us, every single one of us, will be given a chance to enter God's kingdom, to be healed and forgiven and restored, to be called wheat. And the great invitation for each of us every day is to choose the kingdom now, today, to live in that heavenly reality today, to get to participate in its spreading today, to enjoy the wonderful treasure of being and belonging in the kingdom of heaven before we die, today. The great tragedy is that for some, even when face to face with Jesus, will choose to reject him. Though my instinct is, most will accept his invitation into the kingdom. So when we read about Jesus removing the weeds from the good field, we can feel peace in the knowledge that those who reject Jesus in that moment are likely to be a minority. And that Jesus, the kind farmer, will give everyone plenty of chances to say yes. I am really running out of new locations in my living room. I don't think that's a problem. Well... Let's let them be the judge. The final thing I want to notice is that simply that our role is not to judge where people are at because we're really bad at it. Notice what the farm workers want to do. They say, do you want us to go out and pull the weeds? And Father God's answer is super simple. He says, no, don't do it. You're not good at it. It's not your job. 
It's so easy for us to put ourselves in God's shoes and to make that call on like who's in and who's out, as if we could possibly know the inner workings of someone else's heart or the journey that they've been onto up to this point. The word that Jesus uses that we read as weeds in this parable is actually a specific type of weed called false wheat, and it genuinely is hard to tell those two plants apart until they're fully grown. So the wise thing for a farmer to do is to give each plant a chance to grow and prove what it's made of. And that's just what Jesus does. Gives every person a chance to grow up and bear fruits before he, the only one who could, could make the judgment on them. But there's also a warning hidden in here as well. And it's for those of us who would self-identify as the wheat. If we're not careful, we can think of our allegiance to Jesus, our commitment to him that we've made maybe a long time ago as like a rubber stamp for entry, like a password that we've learned, a ticket to heaven. But if we tick the right box on the religion form, but we don't let our hearts be transformed by Jesus, if we say yes with our mouths, but we keep our hearts cold, then what makes us think that we're going to be identified as wheat? If we won't let Jesus heal and transform us, then Do we even belong in Jesus' kingdom ourselves, let alone anybody else? Jesus spoke directly into this earlier in our chunk in Matthew 12. He said, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So Jesus is making it clear It's our hearts, which is the heart of the matter. Jesus makes it crystal clear in these verses what is our job and what is his job. Our job is to examine our own hearts, to cultivate good soil in our own hearts and to come to Jesus for rescue, healing and forgiveness. Our job is also to tell everyone about the good news in the same way that Jesus did, indiscriminately, just to everybody, without prejudice uh, and to leave the results, as it were, up to Jesus. And his job is to be the judge. His job is to ask each individual to give an account of their lives, the choices that they've made, what they did with the opportunities they were given. And again, let's say it again, let's be really clear. When that day comes, nobody but nobody is going to be able to stand before Jesus and give an account of their lives worthy of entrance to the kingdom. None of us, just nobody that you can think of. The only ones who will be granted access are those who throw themselves on Jesus' love and mercy and who accept his adoption. Jesus is the great judge, which despite all the talk today about fire and gnashing teeth, that is really, really, really good news. Because Jesus is a judge defined by showing mercy. Jesus is a judge wise and capable of knowing and weighing all the circumstances around a person's life. So no matter where they grew up, the colour of their skin, the advantages they've had, the ways they've been abused, the rubbish experience of Christians they've had, or anything else that has dictated the way that they live, he is a just judge and he will take all of those things into consideration when he stands. None of us are capable of doing that. And Jesus is telling us loud and clear, don't even try. Our job is not to judge. Our job is simply to love our neighbour as we love ourselves and leave the rest to Jesus. So where does that leave us? As you can see, I'm back where I've started, so you know I'm nearly finished. Hopefully we're breathing a great big sigh of relief right now. 
Jesus is kind and merciful and wise and just. He is the wise farmer sowing good seed and he is the merciful judge who will sort it all out in the end. And we who claim to believe in Jesus would do well to believe in Jesus. You know, we've discussed at length that the word believe just basically means trust. And our posture at the moment should be to trust Jesus with our friends and family who don't want anything to do with him at the moment. Our posture is to keep praying for them, keep sharing Jesus with them, to never give up on them. And our posture is to examine our own hearts and ask if our hearts are fertile soil for the kingdom of God to take root and leave the rest up to Jesus. There is so much more I wish I could say on this. And I'm so aware that this is really a really emotive issue for a lot of us. So the best place to dig into this is not really on a Sunday morning, but it's in a more relational context like a home group. But if I've said anything today which has surprised you or given you hope or maybe upset you or confused you, then there are three things I'd love for you to consider doing. The first is to send me an email. I would love to chat this through with you. I'm really aware that a lot of this conversation is fraught with confusion and that some of us come from church backgrounds which teach a very different thing to what I've shared today. And that's okay. We're a community that knows how to disagree with each other and challenge each other, but still love each other. So let's talk about it. Secondly, I've based most of what I've said this morning from a brilliant talk by one of my favourite theologians, Tim Mackey. If you want to hear more, then I'm going to share a link to his talk in the weekly email. Please check it out. It's brilliant. Or even better, read this book. It's called The Skeletons in God's Closet, and it's just about the best, most liberating book I've read in years. It talks about the kind of thing that we've been discussing today in greater detail, and it is a wonderful read. Finally, if you're here this morning and you don't currently identify as a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to, if you'd like to say yes to Jesus' invitation to be adopted into the kingdom of God, then we're going to take a moment in a bit to lead you through a prayer. But just uh, we're also going to take some time to do some business with God right now. I'm sure that as I've been speaking this morning, all of us have had people that we know and love pop into our minds. And so we're going to take some space to pray now for those people, but also we're going to do the same after we worship. So let's take a moment or two now to quiet our hearts, and I'm going to lead us through a prayer. And so if you agree with what I'm saying, you can just simply say it along in your own hearts. King Jesus, we thank you that you are a good, loving and kind God. We thank you that you are a just judge. We thank you for your invitation into your kingdom. And I want to accept your invitation today. There are so many ways in my life that I'm not living according to your design. Please would you forgive me, free me and restore me. And I also want to ask for my friends and family who don't know you. I'm thinking of one or two people specifically right now. And I want to ask that you would be kind and merciful to them. That you would reveal yourself to them. That you would help me to show them what you're like by my actions and my words.
We thank you for your love and we put our trust in you. Amen. Okay, that's all for this week. I hope that blessed you and you found that helpful. If you've enjoyed this message, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to join in with what we're doing here in Gloucester, you can join us at one of our Sunday gatherings online. All the details you need are on our website, gloucestervineyard.org.